Alright, good morning. Let's uh, let's begin. So we're gonna pick up Emir Tzashem on the top of Samachtes. Today's Daf is Samachtes. We're gonna pick up on Samachtes. Again, our shoe is sponsored by the Schultz in memory of Barry Plotkin, Baruch Yosef, Baruch Yosef Ben Ben Meir And we hope that in the merit of Shiva's being observed now. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, his neshama will have an aliyah. So we left off on top. We're actually continuing a conversation that was begun yesterday. We began to discuss this idea of the Kohanim sleeping on top of their clothing and whether or not that constituted whether or not that constituted the type of Hanna'ah which was permitted or prohibited. So the Gemara said, Shamas poshtin umekaplin umekaplin manichin The Kohanim take their clothing, they take off their clothing at night, they fold it up and they put it underneath their head using it as a pillow. So the Gemara says, Shamas minah big day kohanim nitno lehanos pen. We see from here that you are permitted to get benefits from the big day kohanim. That Kohanim are permitted to get benefits from their big day kohanim. Amurat Papa, lo teima tachas roshayin ela ima kineged roshayin. Tutra Papa says, no, 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 don't read it as underneath their heads, but rather read it as next to or opposite their heads. And the Gemara says, What do we see from here? That tefillin on the side is appropriate. So what, is, what does that mean? Well, so take a look at Rashi. What's the whole issue when sleeping? So we spoke about last night that the issue with sleeping really seems to be flatulence on the point when, when, when one is asleep. So you see from here that having the, having the big day kuhuna in close proximity to you while you're sleeping, we're not concerned that one will, one will undermine the sanctity of the big day kuhuna. So the Gemara says, you also see from here that tefillin minatzad, Rashi says, lahanichan as l'kishuyoshin. We see from here the fact that you could sleep next to big day kuhuna also indicates that you could sleep next to tefillin and that there's no, lesson, no lessening of the Kiddushah of having the tefillin in close proximity to you while you're sleeping. So we'll say the Gemara just backs up this assertion. It would seem to be that indeed the case that we are referring to here is not a case of where one has actually put the tefillin underneath, excuse me, one has put the big dekuna underneath their heads, but rather next to their heads. Because if you think that they're literally sleeping on top of the big day kahuna, then mishum kilayim. Oh, there's another problem. What's the other problem with sleeping on top of big day kahuna? A shatnis issue. Now we'll say the Gemara says avnit, because remember there is the belt and the belt of the coin. This is talking about again this regular kohanim. The belt of the regular coin is shatnis. Look at Rashi. Hanicha. Excuse me, I'm sorry, we're not up to that Rashi yet. So the Gemara says the following. So, uh, So I'll say, even if you want to say that Lemaisa, again, you are permitted to get benefit from Big Day Kahuna, everyone agrees that what? You may not get benefit from Kilayim, from Shatnes. So even again, even if you want to say Big Day Kahuna, Nitnu Lehanos Mehen, that you are permitted to get benefits from big day kuna. And again, when we say get, get benefit, everyone agrees, by the way, that that benefit, of course, will be limited to the Kohanim themselves. But Lemaise, again, no one will say that you're permitted to get benefits from Shatnis, to which the Gemara says, well, Hanicha Lamanda Amar, Avneto Shal Kohen Gadol, Zehu Avneto Shal Kohen Hedjot. So I will say, this works now, again, the Gemara just made an assumption 
that the clothing of the Kohanim is a coin, is a coin, a portion of the coin, a regular coin, is shatnis. And what shatnis of it? It's not the actual, it's the belt. That the belt itself has a mixture of wool and linen. So the Gemara says, well, just understand, not everybody agrees with that. Hani This makes sense according to the opinion who holds that the belt that the Kohen Godel wore on Yom Kippur is the belt that a regular Kohen wore throughout the year. So we'll say, let's look at Rashi for just a moment over here. So apparently, according so the one who says that we're not concerned about Kilayim, and the only, the only concern in this whole discussion is whether or not you are permitted to get benefits from clothing up, from, from Big Day Kuna, this makes sense according to the Mandamar Hanicha Rashi, the opinion who is not concerned for Kilayim. That he says that the, the belt, the coin godol that, that he wore that was just made of linen, listen to this. So remember, let's, let's just follow, follow the progression of this conversation. So the way this whole thing began is we were trying to figure out the Mishnah made a statement that the Kohanim take off their clothing at night and put it underneath their head. So this triggered a whole conversation that does that mean that you could get benefits from the big day kuna? So the Gemara, the Gemara reached the point where the Gemara essentially said, you know what, you're right. They're not really putting the big day kuna underneath their heads. They're putting the big day kuna next to their heads. And therefore there is no direct, there is no direct contact and therefore no direct benefit from the big day kuna. So the Gemara says, well, one second. Even the fact that we can entertain the idea that you'd be putting the big day kuna underneath their heads, what do you do about the shotness problem? Because after all, isn't the belt of the coin head joke shotness? And by putting it underneath your head, are you not getting benefit from shotness? To which the Gemara says, well, just understand whether or not it's shotness is subject to dispute as well. So the Gemara says there's an opinion that says that the belt that the coin Godel wore on Yom Kippur was the belt that the, that the regular coin head yot wore throughout the year. And I will say, remember, what did the coin Godel wear on Yom Kippur? All white linen, which then indicates that the belt that the coin head yot wore throughout the year was also only white linen. So therefore, again, if that's the case, then it would not pose a shotness problem. I, but according to the opinion who says that the belt of the coin hedgeot, excuse me, according to Madama who says that the belt of the coin godel was not the belt of the coin hedgeot because the coin hedgeot had a belt of both wool and linen. What is there to say? Because also when we say what is there to say, meaning does not that does that not pose a shot in this problem? Both say, remember again, we had this machlokis about the belt all the way in the beginning of the Masechta, about what, what was the nature of the belt of the coin hedgeot. Okay. So the Gemara says, Well, maybe you'll say, so we'll say again. So now what we're saying is, this may pose a Kilayan problem, but it only poses a Kilayan problem according to the one who says that there's a Kilayan problem. Right? So again, it's only if you hold that the belt of the coin hedgeot was not the belt that the coin Godel wore on Yom Kippur, then you have a Kilayan problem. So the Gemara says the following, Well, maybe you'll say like this, Kilayim Belevisha, I'll give you another answer. Maybe you'll say, well, the Isser Kilayim is wearing something. But over here, remember, the coin would not be wearing something. What would he be doing? He'd be resting his head on top of it. Look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Rashi says, actually, not yet. I'm sorry. 
So the Gemara says, Vahatanya, but that's not true. Vahatanya. Lo ya'ale alecha, aval ato muter lahat siyo tachtecha. So we'll say, listen to this. The Torah, when it phrases the prohibition of shatnis, uses the lotion of lo ya'ale alecha. The Pasuk actually is, the Pasuk is, ubeget kilayim shatnis, lo ya'ale alecha. Now, lo ya'ale alecha literally means it shall not come upon you. Which seems to, in, the Americans understand this as that the Isra Kilayim is ha- wearing a garment in such a way that you wrap it around you. That you wrap it around you. So the Gemara says, Lo ya'ale But Ravosai, technically speaking, you could lay down on a sheet of shatnas. So why? Why would that be? Because again, that's not considered to be Lo ya'ale It's not on you. You're on top of it, but it's not on you. So the Gemara says, But the rabbi stepped in and said, king. The rabbi stepped in, You can't even lay down on shatnas. Why? Because there's a concern that although you're laying down on top of shatnas, what may you end up doing? Literally translated, it means that one thread may wrap itself around you. So you say sometimes when you lay down on something, it's not that crazy that what? That you would end up wrapping yourself in it as well. So midda oraisa, so midda oraisa, you could only, only, only issue of shatnas are on things that you put on. Because again, it's, it's derek, what we call derek levisha, a way you wear a garment. Midda banon, even laying down on shatnas will be problematic. So so I will say, therefore, in this case over here, even putting your head on top of shatnis would be problematic. First wide line. I maybe you'll say that you won't lay down directly on the big, big day kuna, but instead what? You'll put something in between yourself and the big So there'll be another material in between you and the big day kuna. Even if you have literally ten mattresses, one on top of the other, and there's kilayim all, all the way underneath on the bottom, you still can't sleep on it. Meaning, I will say again, the Isidir is such that you cannot, you cannot sleep on top of any Isir kilayim. That's the point. Can't sleep, but even if there are multiple layers separating between you and the kilayim. So therefore, again, I will say, in this case, the big day kuna, even if you were to put another material between yourself and the big day kuna, it would still be problematic. But rather, again, what do you see from here? You see from here that Lemaise, it must have been that the Kohanim were not sleeping on top of the big day kuna, but rather what? The big day kuna were next to them. And therefore, again, I will say, remember, the whole issue was an issue of flatulence. So now the Gemara seems to say, we're not concerned for that. We're not concerned for that. Therefore, again, the Kohanim would not sleep on top of the big day kuna. They would be folded up next to them. Shmamina. Ravashi Yamar. Ravashi says, it's interesting. So right after the Gemara seems to close it down, Ravashi says, well, maybe not. The Olam Tachas Rashayan, right? No, in reality, it's possible they slept on top of the big day, meaning with their hands on top of the big day kuna. But what about the fact that it's possible that what? That there's big day kilayim, that, that it's shatnis, and they'd be laying down on top of shatnis, getting benefit from shatnis. And we said that's also in Dirabanon. Towards the something very interesting. Big day kuhuna kashenheim. The big day kuhuna were made of very thick, almost coarse like, not, not, not coarse in terms of abrasive, but a thick type of material. Kiha do'ama rafuna braid rav Yoshua, as rafuna said in rav Yoshua, Hai Namta Gamda, this hard felt belt, 
Din Narash, Rosh say really just is heartfelt. From the city of Narash, Sharia is permitted to go ahead and is permitted. Look at Rashi, what does that mean? Kashim Haim, Ve'enon Mishalamin, Lefichach, Ein Bahem Mishum Kilayim. So, also, what the Gemara is suggesting over here is that Lanaisa, the big day Kahuna, wa, was of a thicker material. And therefore, remember, what was the whole idea? Why can't you lay on top of Kilayim? What was the concern about laying on top of Shatnis? That you may come to wrap yourself. The big day Kahuna apparently says the Gemara were of a, of a tough enough material, thick enough material, that people would not wrap themselves in it. Because of that, the Din Dirabonon did not apply. And the Gemara gives an example like this Gamdol Kitrashi, this Namta. Lavash Gamda Kasha Shari Ain Bamishum Kilaim the Hala Dunya Delavisha the Ispehana Aschimum Hu the Isser. So most apparently with these thicker materials that one would not come to wrap themselves in, there is no Isser Kilaim. So apparently what Gimar is suggesting is if even if you want to go with the approach that Lamaisa they wrapped themselves, they wrapped them, excuse me, they stepped on top of the big tekuna, it would still not pose a shotness problem because again the big tekuna were thick. And therefore, one would not come to wrap themselves in it. Fine. Slimar goes weiter. Tashma. Big day kuhuna. Hayon So just, just well, okay, we'll, we'll come back to this big day kuhuna piece in terms of seeing exactly what they did. Just so you should know, the way the, way the, Rambam, the way the Rambam records it is that they did not sleep with the big day kuhuna underneath their heads, but rather, again, they slept with the big day kuhuna next to them. The point the Gemara is just making is, even according to the Mandarm, who says they slept with the big day kuhuna underneath their heads, you, the, apparently you could still avoid any issue of even rabbinic shotness because his clothing did not lend itself to wrapping oneself, and therefore there's no concern that one would benefit from shotness. Okay, says the Gemara, Tashma, big day kuhuna, Hayot say bahen le Medina. Oser. So also listen to this. So the big day kuna, if you went outside to the Medina, now I will say Medina over here means outside of the Beis Hamikdash. Right? If you leave the Beis Hamikdash in big day kuna, that is Oser, says Rashi. The Medina Oser, why? Shenoig ba derech cho. Because then you're essentially just wearing it as regular clothing, right? Big day kuna is special clothing that was made again for sacrificial service to go out of the Beis HaMikdash in that clothing represents usage of that clothing in a mundane fashion. It's Aser. Over Mikdash, but in the Beis HaMikdash, Bein Bishas Avoda, Bein Shalob Bishas Avoda, Mutter. But when it comes to the Beis HaMikdash, you could wear that clothing during the Avoda, during the time of the Avoda, and after the time of the Avoda. So I'll say, this is very interesting, because here's what's fascinating. We've already established, by the way, that, that the Big Day Kahuna are the property of the Beis HaMikdash. Right, remember, remember where we had this sugya? The sugya that we had, remember, is where the, we, had, we had, let's say, the mothers of the Khan and Gidolim were making their sons clothing, and there was a whole concern, are they going to retain ownership over it, or are they going to fully go ahead and donate to the Beis HaMikdash? So Big Day Kuna belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. On the other hand, on the other hand, there's a realization. So therefore, you would say, if you were a purist, you would say, when should Kohanim, when should Kohanim, it's not just Kohan Gidolim, when should Kohanim wear Big Day Kuna? In the base of in the base of Mikdash, but when? Only during sacrificial service. And therefore, in any moment that they are not engaged in Avoda, what should they do? They should change. The problem is, of course, that's a huge tircha. It's a huge tircha, and it's not totally realistic because inevitably, I will say, what's going to happen? Kohanim are going to be wearing clothing when not engaged in sacrificial service. For example, Cohen has to change into his clothing. The amount of time that it takes him to walk from, let's say, his, uh, his, um, 
Yeah, we'll call it this, the Kohanic quarters, right? The Kohanic quarters until the the the, the Their time where, by definition, is not engaged in sacrificial service. So it's it's a very unique type of situation. So therefore, the Gemara says you can't wear your big deguna outside of the base mikdash. But when you are in the base mikdash, you can wear your big deguna bein b'shasavoda bein shelo b'shasavoda mutter. But you can wear it. I will say when. The entire time, whether you are doing the avodah or whether you're not doing the avodah, you can wear it. Why? I both say for one simple reason, because apparently, again, big day kuhuna were given over to the kohanim to get benefits from. Now, what does it mean, get benefits from? Again, this is a limited benefit. This means benefit that they can wear it, you know, doing the activities of daily living within the base HaMikdash itself, but they may not wear them out. So the Gemara says, Shema and indeed, learn out that what? So I'll say, again, this brings to closure our questions. Remember, again, this whole sugi came up because we were trying to figure out, can Kohanim get benefits from their big day kuna? And the answer is a tempered yes. What's the tempered yes? They can in that what? And that they can wear it throughout the day in the base of Mikdash, even if what say? Even if they are not currently engaged in sacrificial service. See, even again, if they're just walking around the base HaMikdash, even if they're just eating, not sacrificial items, but just some other items, no matter what they are doing, as long as they're in the confines of the base HaMikdash, they are permitted to get benefit from the clothing. The assumption is that during their waking hours, Kohanim are assumed to be engaged in temple service. As such, they are permitted to go anywhere the big day kuna. When they go to sleep, what do they have to do? They can't put their heads on it, but rather, again, they put it opposite to them. Shmami no, and indeed, this is the halacha. So now the Gemara says, they now, they would sleep in the base of Mikdash? Yeah, they had barracks. They had barracks there. This is your first day. You don't get questions first day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, least, at least a week straight and on time. Then you get questions. That's it. It's awesome. Sorry. It's not mine. It's Ari's. It's, uh, I, just, I, just, I just work here. I just work here. We, we, so, all, we all went through it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the, and then there's the tar and feathering, but that's, uh, that's a different... Uh, all right. So, so, says, uh, says the Gimar Gumadina. Yes, but they did sleep in the base of Mikdash. They had, they actually had barracks. Barracks is the wrong word. Barracks sounds too, like, um... Quarters. Quarters. Right, I was going to say hotel, but that's too lavish. Puppies for the Mishmar. No, that's something different. That's just storage spaces for the knife. Right, so that's, so that's, again, but they literally had places to stay in the base of Mikdash itself. They actually, it's, it's actually interesting. The Gemara says... We, one of the opinions we saw is that they also used to sleep around the base Hamoka. Remember, they had a fire chamber because, again, Kohanim would get cold over the course of their over the course of their day. So, according to many, they used to sleep on the floor of the base Hamoka. Okay. Sigmar says, "Umdino Now, the Gemara just made a statement over here. That's what that Lamaisa, that Lamaisa, you can't wear the big day guna outside of the base Hamikdash. Sigmar says, "That's true." Abosa, listen to this. This is an amazing story. Vatai, really amazing story. Vatai, we learn. Best, if, if your friends are not here, you should text them now that they should get here because Chavaltan is this. We learn, on the 25th day of Teves, Yom Har Grizim. We're both like, there's something called Megillah's Tainus. Megillah's Tainus references a whole bunch of days in which we fast on and on which, on which we celebrate the Yamim Tovim. So Megillah's Tainus is lost. We only have remnants of it. So all these other Yamim Tovim where they would not say Tachanon, all, 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 very, so one of these days is the 25th of Teves. What happened on the 25th of Teves? Yom Hargrizim was considered the day of Hargrizim. What do we do on the day of Hargrizim? I will say, understand, Hargrizim was very important for us, it was important because, again, that's where the bracha and the klala took place when we entered into Eretz Yisrael. 
So in the times of the Beis Hamikdash, it was more important because it was the stronghold of of the Kusim, of the Samaritans, right? So, which who, who caused the Jewish people incredible problems? Listen to this. We don't say eulogies on this day, which means it's a Yom Tov. Because what happened on this day? It was a day in which the Kusim, the Kusim, remember again, we, we've referenced the Kusim many times. The Kusim were a group that we were resettled in Israel by the king of Ashur. There was an outbreak of lions. The Kusim converted, but their conversion was always suspect because they were found to be um, worshipping idolatry even, even subsequent to their conversion. Therefore, and, and later on in history, they became, they became antagonists to the Jewish people. They, they tried to undermine us in many different ways. So what happens? So this was the day in which the Kusim went to Alexandros Mokdon. So Alexandros Mokdon is Alexander the Macedonian, also known as <coughs> Alexander the Great. So they went to Alexander the Great. Lachriv, and they said to Alexander... The Jews are trying to rebel against you. So the Kusim were trying to tell Alexander, Jews are, Jews are rebelling, and they wanted to destroy our temple. And what happens? The Nasdullahan, Alexander, Alexander gave them permission, gave the Kusim permission to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. What happened? And they told Shimon HaTzadik. So also remember who Shimon HaTzadik, you know this. Shimon HaTzadik, Haya Mishayare Anche Knesses Hagidola. Right, it was a Kohen Gadol, was also one of the last members of the Men of the Great Assembly. They told Shimon HaTzadik that, that the Kusim are going to be marching on the Beis HaMikdash. So what happened? Alexander what happened? Told him? I'm sorry? Told no, him somebody him. told him. No, Alexander didn't tell him. Right? Uh, somebody else, whoever told him, he found out. He found out. So what happened? Ma'asa, lavash big day kuna, v'nisatek big day kuna. So Alexander, so excuse me, Shimon HaTzadik dressed up. You remember he was the Kohen Gadol. He dressed up in his big day kuna, and he went. He, he traveled. Umiyakiri Yisrael Imo. And the most important people of the Jewish people accompanied him. And they were carrying torches of light. So if you can imagine the scene, what's happening? The Kusim are marching from Hargrizim to Yerushalayim to go and destroy the Beis HaMikdash. The Jews, the Jews, the delegation led by Shonat Sadiq, are marching towards Alexander from the other direction. So each are coming from an opposite direction. So what happened? Until dawn. So what happens? Comes the morning. Alexander the Great sees these two camps marching towards him. And what happened? He says to his people, who are these? Who are these people marching towards us? They said to Alexander, oh, these are the Jews who rebelled against you. Because remember, the way that the Kusim sold us out is they told Alexander that the Jews have rebelled against you. Again, historically, historically, conquering monarchs don't need all that much evidence mm-hmm. to show that people are rebelling against mm-hmm. them. So you have the Kusim. The Kusim pledged their allegiance to Alexander. The Jews have not yet pledged their full allegiance to Alexander. We're still a spiritually autonomous people. And therefore, Alexander believes them. So they say to Alexander, oh, that's the group who rebelled against you, who is marching towards you. Towards you. Kevan Che Gila Antipras will say this is wild. When they got to Antipras, Zarcha Chama Upaga Zebaze. So what happens? They got to Antipras, and what happens? If you can imagine this scene, the Kusim and the Jews converge upon Alexander exactly at the same moment. Kevan Shera the Shimon Atzadik will say, get ready. When Alexander the Great, now remember, understand, Alexander the Great in his heyday was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. That's not an exaggeration. He was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. What happens? When he saw Shimon Yorad Memer Kavto, he got off his chariot, 
Alexander the Great got off his chariot and bowed down before Shimon HaTzadik. Amrulo, so his advisors, right, his men are floored at this. Melech Godol Kemoscha, Yishtachaveli Yehudizu, you're the king. You're not just the king, you're the most powerful monarch on the face of the earth, and you're bowing down in front of this Jew. Listen, Alexander the Great said, Amrulahem, Diokno Shalzeh, Minatsechas Lofanai Bebeis Milchamti. Alexander the Great says, Whenever I go to war, I was a, I'm always accompanied by an angel. And the angel looks just like this man. That's like quite amazing. So again, the Marsha says that Akadosh Baruch who created wow. this nation. Again, I will say, you should just understand, Kal Gadol is, you know, people who are Matzliach in ridiculous, ridiculous ways, that only comes from Akadosh Baruch You only become an Alexander the Great when God is on your side. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a good person, but it means that clearly God is on your side. So Alexander the Great realizes that his success is, is very much because the divine is on his side. And he says, when I went out to war, there's an angel. And the angel looks like Shimon Hatzadik. I've always I've seen this man's face in all of my battles. He gets up and he bows down before him. Armelahem Lama Basim. So after he gets up, he says, No, why are you here? Says to Shimon Hatzadik, why are you here? Amru Fshar Bayishim Spalin Boalecha, Ba'amal Husecha, Shlotecharov. Yita ucha ovdekochavim lachrivo. So he says Shimon Hatzadik, Shimon Hatzadik says to Alexander, listen, the house in which we daven for you, and we daven for your sister. We'll say again, general, happens to be Alexander. Alexander was a benevolent ruler to the Jews. The proof to that is what? Proof to that is what? Right? Many Jews throughout the ages ever wonder how the name Alexander has entered into the Jewish name lexicon. Right? It's not exactly, it's, it's, not, it's not a biblical name. Right? It's not a Jewish name. It's not, it's not a Jewish name at all. It's the name of a Gentile monarch. Jews had incredible hakaras atov to Alexander the Great because he was benevolent. He allowed Eretz Yisrael to exist on its own. He allowed spiritual autonomy. He even allowed governmental autonomy to assume. Remember, when do things go south? Right? When Alexander the Great dies. Remember, again, it's a little bit of history over here. When Alexander the Great dies, there's a huge power vacuum and because he doesn't leave an heir. So there are four generals. For Alexander the Great's four generals divide up his massive empire. One of his general, generals happens to be a man by the name of Antioch, also known as Antiochus, who takes over the area of the Syrian Greek Empire. That's, remember, that's the general, that's the Antiochus of the Hanukkah story. Pre-Hanukkah, things weren't great. I mean, it wasn't like the heyday of the Jewish evil, but things were good. Things were peaceful. There was no ridiculous taxation. There was no trying to squeeze every penny out of the Jewish. Things, things were normal. Jewish society thrived. Alexander dies. So again, so they said. So they said to. So they said to Alexander. It says, "We daven for you every single day in our beis right? We pray for you. Again, we say the tefillah. We say the tefillah for the memshal, the tefillah for the government every single day. The home in which we daven for you, you're going to allow to be destroyed. mihalalu. So Alexander then turns to the other group and he says to this other group, "No, who are you? Excuse me." Alexander says, "Who are the people who want to destroy the temple?" kusim halalu so Shimon HaTzadik says, funny you should ask. Funny you should ask, right? It happens to be the people who want to destroy the base of is this other group standing right over here. So Alexander, this is an amazing reversal. Again, Alexander says, okay, the kusim are yours to do it as you want. Exactly. 
a total 180. The Kusim are marching on Yerushalayim to destroy it because Alexander the Great gave them permission. Now he has total respect for Shimon HaTzadik, gives the Jews the, the Kusim. What do the Kusim do? Well, I'll say this is a, is a, is a bit brutal. Miyad nokvum bakvem, they pierced the heels of the Kusim. Utilo'am benzin ve'susim, susayim, and tied them to the tails of their horses. Vayumegarin osa ala kotsem v'alabarnikim, and dragged them across the thorns and the thistles. Ad she'ikil lehargrizim, until they reached hargrizim. Now, Bosai, hargrizim was essentially the harabayis of the Kusim. That was the temple mount of the Kusim. What did they do? Kevin she'ikil lehargrizim, charshua v'zaruha krishin, when they got to, when they got to Haragrizim, they, 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 they destroyed the Kusi temple and literally thresh, I'm not threshed, plowed, plowed and sowed Haragrizim with vetch, vetch is animal feed. So they totally destroyed the Kusi temple and plowed the field under it. The Jews, the, the Jews did this. And that day, they made into a Yom Tov. That was the day when we were saved from the Kusi threat and ultimately, again, destroyed the Kusi temple. I will say, understand, you know, it's harsh, it's harsh, but the truth is the Jews clearly felt that they had to make, they had, they had to make a point, you know, to go ahead and let the Kusi go back home. You know, it's interesting. There's a time for Shalom. We often mention the best way to make Shalom is how? The best way to make Shalom is to beat your enemies into submission. That's the best shalom. The best peace comes from strength, not from, not from words. Right? Show your enemies that you can beat them down to the ground, and maybe even beat them down to the ground a little bit, and then you can say afterwards, let's be friends. You know, let, let's learn to coexist. If you say let's learn to coexist and you don't do anything to neutralize your threat, your enemy will be back at your doorstep before you even know what happens. So you have to neutralize the kusim. And yes, they make a very dramatic example, and therefore this day became a yomtov. So most I can remember, why did we quote this story? So again, it's a fascinating race But why is it here? Because what happened? Alexander, the, excuse me, Shimon HaTzadik wore Big Day Kahuna outside of the Beis HaMikdash. So don't tell me you can't do it. He wore Big Day Kahuna. So the Gemara gives two answers. So some say it doesn't literally mean he didn't literally wear Big Day Kahuna. What did he wear? He wear clothing. He wore clothing that could have been the Big Day Kahuna. So we'll say, we've seen this before already, that Kohanim, very often, especially wealthy Kohanim, had kind of like Big Day Kahuna replicas, like their own wardrobe that looked like Big Day Kahuna, but was not sanctified as Big Day Kahuna. So possibility number one is he wore, he wore clothing that looked like Big Day Kahuna, but wasn't actual Big Day Kahuna. Or the second answer, which, which I, I think is much more powerful. The other opinion of say is what? He did wear Big Day Kuna. I, how can you wear Big Day Kuna outside of the Deis HaMikdash? Chazal translate to mean, there is a time where you have to do things for God, and doing things for God sometimes requires an annulment of the very precepts of the Torah. In other words, sometimes dramatic situations require dramatic action. So, right, you don't normally wear big tikkun outside of the Beisamikdash. This was an exception. Shimon HaTzadik felt, felt that he had to make a point, and that point was only made by wearing the Beit out, and that was for the salvation of the Jewish people, and therefore was permitted. Next, Chazan Aknesses no tells everything. So, if you remember again, the Mishnah described the process of Kriyas Ator in the Beis HaMikdash. What happened? The Chazan Aknesses, who was the Shamish, the Shamish took the Sefer, he gave it to the Rosh Aknesses, to the Gabai, the Gabai to the Skan, and the Skan to the Kohen Gadol. So, what do you see from here? Shmanina. What do you see from here? That you are permitted to go ahead and give honor to the student in the presence of the Rebbe. So, there's a big machlokis about this. 
There's a big machlokas about this. In general, if you can give covet to a Talmud where his Rebbe is present, because according to some, giving covet to the Talmud in the presence of the Rebbe represents a lessening of the covet of the Rebbe. So the Gemara says, you see from here that you can give covet to the Talmud in front of the Rebbe. And I'll say, what does this refer to? We're giving, we're giving covet to the Skan in front of the Kohen Gadol. So you see from here that you can give covet to the Talmud in front of the Rebbe. To which the Gemara says, no, not necessarily. Omer Abaye, kula mishum kavodo the Kohen Gadol. The truth is, no. All of this is considered to be covered for the coin Gadol. Why? Because once again, there's a whole procession, there's a whole process over here. All of this, it's a build-up, and it's a dramatic build-up, and it's all considered to cover the coin Gadol. The coin Gadol only. And what happens? The coin Gadol stands up. The coin Gadol stands up to receive the Torah. So the Gemara says, Michlal Shu Yoshin. Now, also the fact that it says that the coin Gadol stands up indicates to us what? That if he apparently was sitting, really, but we learned. There's only one person who could go ahead and sit in the Azar in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash, and that is kings of Davidic descent. Only kings of Davidic descent are permitted to go ahead and sit in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash. Everyone else must stand. So I said, how could it be that the Kohen Gadol is sitting? Oh, where Abba says it's all taking place? This is taking place in what we call the Ezra's Noshim. So what's the Ezra's Noshim? The Ezra's Noshim, we call it the women's section, although it wasn't really the women's, I mean, the women could be there also. But this is the outer courtyard. So again, remember Abba say, if you have your Beis HaMikdash picture, if you have your Beis HaMikdash picture, you can see over here, this big area over here, this is called the Ezra's Noshim. So the reading, the reading of the Torah on Yom Kippur was taking place over here in this Ezra's Nashim. So the Gemara says the following. I, where was Rav Chista's original statement made? Aha, it was made concerning this. Meisve, or I should say, aha, meisve. It was made concerning this question. Where do we read, where does the Torah reading take place on Yom Kippur? Ba'azara, in the courtyard. Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov Omer, Baharabayis, Shinne Emar, Vayikra Bolifne Harachol, Asherifne Sharamayim, Vamar of Chista, Beezras Nashim. So, Abosa again, Halochalamaisa, we say that this reading of the Torah on Yom Kippur took place in the Ezras Nashim. And that's why, again, even if you want to be Medayik in the words and say that the Queen Godel was sitting, that's okay, because one is permitted to sit in the Ezras Nashim. Fine. So, the Gemara now quotes a couple of psukim regarding this. Vayivarech Ezra Es Hashem, Es Hashem. Ha'elokim ha'godol. Ezra blessed, Ezra blessed, Hashem the great God. My godol, what does that mean, godol? So the Gemara says, Amarav Yosef, Amarav, Shegidlo b'shem ha'maforash. It means that Ezra recited the shem ha'maforash. Now, I'll say again, what's the shem ha'maforash? Look at Rashi over here. Rashi says, Vayivarech Ezra. No, no, Rashi, I'm sorry. So we'll see it. Shem ha'maforash means Yudke Babke. That's when Ezra recited the bracha, he recited the bracha, and he actually, he enunciated the letters of this name. So the Gemara says, Rav Gidol Omer, Baruch Hashem Elokei Yisrael, Min HaOlam, V'ad HaOlam. On the other end, Rav Gidol says, no, what does it mean? That he blessed HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaLokim HaGodol. HaGodol means that after he recited the name of Hashem, everyone else responded, blessed is the name of Hashem, the God of Israel, Min HaOlam, V'ad HaOlam, from this world to the next. I, but maybe it's like we originally said before, <coughs> that he said, actually, 
Rabosa, you can't say the name of Hashem, you can't articulate the ineffable name Yudke Bavke outside of the base of Mikdash. Rabosa, what does it mean outside of the base of Mikdash? Ezra is standing in the Ezra's Noshim. Ezra standing in the Ezra's Noshim when this takes place. So, and yet the Gemara calls that what? Outside of the base of Mikdash. Now remember, Rabosa, the whole reason why this is all coming up is because what are we trying to show? That if the coin Godel was sitting, where could you possibly be sitting within the base Hamikdash compound, but yet, but yet, not be in the base Hamikdash, so to speak? And now we've established that what? That's the Ezra's Nashim. Just like again, Ezra couldn't articulate the name of the Shema Mephorash and the Ezra's Nashim, so that the coin Godel would be able to sit in the Ezra's Nashim. So, Mars says, below, is that true or not? Vahoksiv Vayamod Ezra's Sofra Amigdal Eitz Asher Asu Ledover. But yet the Pasik says that Ezra's Sofra stood. On the platform of wood that they built for this matter, for the Amr of Gidlo, of Gidlo says, "What did he? What, what? What is this matter? What did they do?" Shegidlo b'shemamaforash, and yet, what did Ezra do from this platform? Ezra went ahead and articulated, he enunciated the divine name of Hashem. To which the Gemara says, "You're right, he did it, but horas shaahaisa." They both say it was a temporary measure. Horas sha means. That it was an exception. There was apparently, again, I'm about to say, just like we saw before, that according to one opinion, Shimon HaTzadik wore the big day kahuna outside of the Beis HaMikdash because was Hara it was an extenuating circumstance. So to the Gemara suggests that the blessing of Ezra, the fact that Ezra blessed the people with the Shem HaMafarsh and actually articulated that name was also a Hara'as Shah, was a dispensation. I will say why Ezra did that, we'll discuss. Meaning, what, what, what was the emergency? What was the, what, was the, what was the major situation that caused him that? We'll get to that. So the Gemara says, Vaiter. Vaitzaku el Hashem alokim bekol godol. They called out to Hashem. To Hashem, their God, with a great voice. So we'll say again, the Gemara once again over here is quoting from Nehemia. Who's quoting from Nehemia? They called out to Hakadosh Baruch Hu in a great voice. What does that mean? So the Gemara says, "My Omer, Omer Rav, Beitim Rabos Rosas to this." So now, he, let's imagine this scene. So this is now in the Navi Nehemia. The Jewish people are calling out in a state of distress. So now the Gemara is going to say, "What's the distress? What's the problem?" We'll say is another amazing, amazing Gemara. So Omer Rav, Beitim Rabbi Yochanan, bye bye. Bye-bye means oi, oi. Oi, oi. Woe to us, woe to us. So the Gemara says, Hainu hai, listen to this. So what, what are they crying out about? Hainu hai, the achravei lemikdasha, because this thing that destroyed the Beis HaMikdash, vikalye lehechale, and laid ruin to the hechal, vikatlinu lekulu tzadikei, and killed all the tzadikim, vaaglinu liyisome arehum, and cause the Jewish people to be exiled from their land. Right? I'm sorry, Bainon. And yet it still dances among us. So we'll say, what are they talking about? The Yitzhar Hara for Avodazara. Right? Take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, the Jews are lamenting, you know, we have suffered so much because of the sin of idolatry. Again, we've committed, we, 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 have, we, have, we have worshipped idolatry. And because of that sin, because of that Yitzhahara, everything has been destroyed. We've lost the base of Mikdash. Remember, this is already now Second Temple era. But the point is, they're lamenting the fact about all we've lost because of Avodazara. All the people that have been killed because of Avodazara. And yet, and yet, despite it all... The Yitzhahara for Avodazara is Mamish doing the Hora right here. It is dancing among us. It's still here. So they say, Takalish Baruchu, Yahavise Lon. Yahavise Lon. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, excuse me, let me say that. Klum Yahavise Lon. El Kabuli Be'egra. 
HaKadosh Baruch why did you give us this Yetzirah? You gave us this Yetzirah so we should get reward. I will say, what, what, what does that mean? HaKadosh Baruch gives us Yetzirah not because he wants to punish us, but because he can. I will say, success in life is only meaningful if you have to overcome challenge. If there's no challenge, then there's no real success. So HaKadosh Baruch you gave us the Yetzirah of Avodah Zarah, says we should find the strength, muster the strength to overcome it. And when we overcome it, then what happens? We get reward, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's not working, right? We're succumbing to it. So we have an idea. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know what? are going to make you a deal. We're going to make you a deal. You keep the challenge, and you could also keep the reward, right? So let, let, let's, let's call it even, right? Don't test us, don't give us anything. Like this is desperation. This is absolute desperation. We can't overcome the Yetzirah of Avodah So if you look back at that Rashi for just a moment, Rashi says over here, What are they davening for? So what, what, what is the request? Rashi says, What they are asking is for God to give them the power to vanquish the Yitzhahara for idolatry. Akadish Baruchu, remove the Yitzhahara for idolatry. Okay? So we'll say, what they're saying is, again, we recognize why you give it to us. We can't overcome it. We know we'll lose out on a whole bunch of reward. It's so, you know what? We're beginning to be mavat. We're willing to forego the reward. Just get rid of the Yitzhahara. We'll say, this is amazing. Nafaluhu piskam irakia. So we'll say, what happens? A note fell down from Shamayim. Imagine this. Dahavikasav ba, one word. MS. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, true. You're right. MS. I, I, what, what you're saying is MS. Amar Rav Hanina, Rav Hanina suggests as an aside, Shmamina Chosmo Shala Kodesh Baruch Hu MS. So Rabbi first of all, we see from here that what? The signature of God is MS. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu left them as, you know, from the desk of God. You know, from the desk of God, God. Right? MS. You know what? You're saying good. You're saying, I have Rachmanas in my children. I recognize you can't overcome this Yitzhahara. You're right. So what did they do? Let's listen to this. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. They fasted for three days, three nights. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them control over the Yitzhahara for Avodah I will say, how exactly do you get control over the Avodah Zara? Listen, this is wild. So what happens? No, excuse me. Nafak. Asa kigurya dinura mibes kajiyakadar. So we'll say after three days and three nights, they are on the level to conquer and subdue the Yitzhahara for Avodazara. What happens? So a fiery lion jumps out from the Kodesh HaKadosh. Rabbi that is, there is, they're looking right at the Yitzhahara Avodazara. It's just interesting, by the way, that the Yitzhahara for Avodazara jumps out of the Kodesh HaKadosh. So it tells you something very profound. That the Yitzhahara for Avodah if channeled, what, what is the Yitzhahara for Avodah It comes from a pure place. It comes from a desire to connect to something bigger than yourself. If you channel and you sublimate that Yitzhahara in the correct way, you can become an incredible Avodah Hashem. If you look historically, some of the greatest people came out from the, from, from, from the greatest generations of Avodah the, the paradigmatic example of this is Avram Avinu. Right? Avram Avinu came came from Terech Abe, came from an incredible Obed Avodah Aruminu learned to channel the power of Avodah and to sublimate and to channel it into the service of God. So the, so the, so the fiery lion of Yetzirah emerges from the Kodesh HaKadoshim. What happens? What happens? Armer Luhu, excuse me, Armer Luhu Navi the Yisrael, Hainu Yitzra Da Avodah So Nechemia told them, that's it. 
So as you can imagine, everybody's standing there. I mean, can you imagine for a moment, like, what exactly do you do? Right? So now I'm standing there. The fiery lion comes out of the Kodesh HaGadoshim. <laughs> what is this? So Nehemiah says, that's it. That's the Tzahara of Avodah So what happens? What happens? That's the Risha. That's the evil one. So we'll say, what do they do? So what, what do you do? You, you, you got to capture it. So they wrestle it. Ishtamit so I'll say, as they are wrestling the fiery line of Yitzhara, what happens? One of the hairs of its mane fell off. The Bible says, what does it mean one of the hairs of the mane? That meaning, I'll say, as much as they're going to vanquish the Yitzhara of Odezara, a little bit got away. A little bit got away. One hair of the mane got away. The Ramakala, now I'll say, as they're wrestling down the, as they're wrestling down the fiery line of Odezara, it lets out a cry, because now it's in, it's kiviachol, it's in pain. It's a pain, and what happens? And va'azal kala arba me'aparsi. The the voice, the cry extends four hundred parsos. Amru heichi navid. What should we do? Dilma chas v'shal merachami aleim in shamaya. So I'll say the concern was that if we just wrestle the avodazar, the yitzar for avodazar down to the ground, it's going to cry out. And what's going to happen? God may hear its cries of pain. Akolish baruch who may have rachmanus on the fire line of yitzar. So what should we do? Amru lehu navi. So the navi said to him, Shajua bedur de avra. Throw it into a lead container and cover it with a lead with a lead covering. Apparently, lead absorbs sound very well. So again, essentially, put it put it put it in lead, and that'll drown out the sound. The avra mishiv shayiv kola because lead absorbs sound. Shne emar vayomer zos harasha vayashleich ose al tocha eva vayashleich es even haoferas apia. He said, "This is the risha. This is the evil one. This is the etzar of all the zara." They threw it into an eva. And they put a stone of lead on top of it. Amru. So we'll say, so now, this is, this is the story of how they vanquished the Yitzhara Vodazara. We'll say, this is why to this day, we often read the, we read the Nevi'im and we read how people struggle with Avodazara. And for the life of us, we can't understand how someone could be so drawn to a Fashtunkina idol. It doesn't make any sense to us. And the reason it doesn't make sense to us is because, again, Chazal removed that Yitzhara. Yes. There are little remnants of that. There's the hair. There's the hair from the mane that still exists, but it's gone. So the Gemara says the following. Amru hoil rachame ayitzra da'avera. So we'll say now, the rabbis realized that they were on a roll, right? Now this, this is pretty big stuff. We just, we just, we just finished off the Yitzhar Farah of the So you know what? What's next on our list, on our to-do list? Let's take care of the Yitzhara for immorality. <coughs> let's, let's go ahead and take care of the Yitzhar for immorality. So the Gemara says, what should we do? So the Gemara says, Bo'u rachamei, bo'u rachamei, v'am sarbiyadayu. The rabbis davin again. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu once again gave them control, took away the Yitzhahara for immorality. Amr luhu, so as the Yitzhahara for immorality was being conquered by the rabbis, he said to them, just get ready, chazu di'ikatlisu lei lahu kalya alma. So they said, the Yitzhahara, the Yitzhahara of immorality as he's getting ready to be, uh, to be slaughtered by the rabbi says, just beware, if you slaughter me, you will destroy the world. You will destroy the world. So they said, you know what, that's a pretty serious threat. Let, let's, let's take it under advisement. Mm-hmm. So what did they do? Kalya, Kalya alma, excuse me, Chavshua Tlasayomi. So said, you know what, so what did they do? They decide before we go ahead and destroy the Yitzhara for immorality. So they kept him in jail. They, they incarcerated him for three days, or it for three days. Let's see what happens to the world when he's not there. So the Gemara says, Ubo bi'asa basyoma Yisrael, And what happens? They tried to find fresh eggs in all of Eretz Yisrael, 
and they couldn't find fresh eggs. Look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Rashi says, So they couldn't find an egg that was laid that day. What it means is, when they removed that Yitzhahara, there was not even a desire for basic procreation. I will say, remember, you have to understand something. All Yitzharas, Yitzharas are not inherently evil. Yitzhahara represents the corruption of what could normally be a very important and good drive. So just like, again, the Yitzhahara for Avodah comes out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim because it represents at its core a desire to connect to the divine. It's just, it's just Avodah is taking the wrong approach to that. Immorality represents the basic desire for procreation, the basic desire for, for real intimate connection. When you remove that Yitzhahara, you remove everything along with it, along with the basic desire for procreation. So there are no eggs. And the Gemara is using that as an example. No, no eggs to be found in Eretz Yisrael. What happens? Amri Hechi Navi. So also now the rabbis were had a problem. What's the issue? What should we do? Naktelay, if we, if we destroy the Yitzhahara for immorality, it's clear, Kalye Alma. It's clear that what? The world, the world won't be able to exist. So maybe you'll say that we should ask for partial divine compassion. I will say, what does that mean, partial divine compassion? Look at Rashi. So maybe we should dive in like this. We want a man to desire his wife. That's what we want. If a man doesn't desire his wife, that's big tsaris. So why don't we say that let the Sahara for, for, for Arayos be partially intact, that a man should desire his wife but shouldn't desire anyone else. See, he says something very interesting. Palga berakia lo yahavi. God doesn't fulfill partial requests. Mm-hmm. And I will say, what, what, what does that mean? What that means is that, come on, you've got to be a big boy, right? Either we're going to destroy this Yitzhahara, or it's going to remain intact. We got created it, and we're going to struggle with it. But you, you can't start asking God, you know, give me a Yitzhahara for my wife, but not a Yitzhahara for this one, and not a Yitzhahara for that one. It doesn't, doesn't, God doesn't work that way. This is not a smorgasbord. Right? This is not a morality smorgasbord. I'll take two of that, one of that, none of that. Either, either, either it's going to be here or it's not going to be here. So I will say, what did they do? This is amazing. So the Gemara says, Kachlinhu le'ene vishafkos. So I will say, what did they do? Literally translated, it means they blinded the Yitzhahara for Arayos and then they let him go. So I will say, what it means is, in some way, they damaged him. So they, they had to let him go because he was right. The world needs him. So, but what did they do before they let him go? They, uh, they, they damaged him. They, literally, they blinded him. I will say, what does that mean? So they handicapped him. And I will say, listen to this. So the handicapping of the Yitzhahara worked. How does it work? I will say, how did it work? And I will say, interestingly enough, you know, one thing we don't desire, normal people don't desire, and that's their immediate relatives. Right? People don't, normal people, don't desire incest. They may desire everything else under the sun, but not incest. Why? Now again, the Torah itself, the Torah itself prohibits those unions. When the Torah prohibits something, it means that Kodesh Baruch Hu realizes that man has a natural desire for it. I, so why don't normal people feel that desire for incest? And the answer is because Chazal were successful in at least removing that element of the Yitzhar for immorality. In the Eretz Yisrael, they had a different version of this discussion. He's going back to what happened with Ezra. What did Ezra do? He went ahead, Godlo, he, 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 he literally made God great by earning the Shema Mephorosh. Rav Masna, Rav Masna says, 
Dharav Masya, Mati Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Rabbi Masna supports Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. What is Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi? We'll say another amazing Gemara. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Lamani Kranchman Anshikinesis Hagadola. Why are the men of the Great Assembly called great? Why are they called great? So the Gemara says, Sheikh Zira Atrali Yoshna. Because they returned the crown, to, they, returned to the, they returned the crown to its former glory. How so? And both say, listen to this. Asa Moshe Amar, Hakel Hagodol Hagibar Vahanara. Both say, when Moshe Rabinu praised that Kodesh Baruch Hu, he praised God with all these adjectives. Hakel, God, Godel, great, Gibar, strong, Nora, awesome. Asi Yirmiya, Vahamar Nachrim Mekarkarin, others say, Meraktin, Pehechalo. So I'll say, Yirmiyah, who remember was the Navi of the destruction, he sees the Chorban Beis Hamikdash, and he says what? How can you, the, the Nachrin, the Gentiles, are dancing or croaking in the Beis Hamikdash, right? They're dancing, they're celebrating in our Beis Hamikdash. Ayin where is God's awesomeness? Where is God's awesomeness? Lo Amar Nora. Yirmiyah took Nora off the list. Asa Daniel, Daniel came along. Amar Nachrin Mishtabdin Bivanov. The Nachrin, the non-Jews, are what? Are literally enslaving his children. Ayin where is God's strength? Lo Amar Gibor. So both say Yirmiyo knocks off Nora. Daniel knocks off Gibor. And what happens? Asu Inhu. The Anshikin and Sekadol come along and they say, Adira, but no, just the opposite. Zoe Gvuros. You know what the strength is? Zoe Gvuros Gvuroso. Shekovish Es Yisro. Shenosin Erech Apaim Lirishoim. Both know what the greatest strength of God is? The greatest strength of God is in his patience. That even though the Gentiles go ahead and defile his base, Amikdosh, he's patient with them and allows them to trying to do tshuva. The greatest manifestation of strength is not the flexing of your muscles. The greatest manifestation of strength is restraint. Ezehu gibor hakovesh es yitzro. So the Anshik and say, no, you think God's passivity is a form of weakness. It's the ultimate form of strength. What happens? Osaf. What's the awesomeness of God? And you want to see the awesomeness of God? The awesomeness of God is expressed in the fact that we are still here. Because how else can you explain the existence of the Jewish people among all of the nations? So therefore, I will say the Anshikinesis Hagidola went ahead and reinstituted that which Moshe Rabbeinu said: Godel, Gibor, and Nora. So how were Yermio and Daniel able to go ahead and detract from the praise that was created, that was that was concretized by Moshe Rabbeinu? Listen, this Rabbeinu is amazing. So Rabbeinu is going back to what we learned before. Yermio and Daniel realized that if there's one thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants more than anything, what's God's signet? MS. And therefore, again, God would not want us to say something that appears to be false. Therefore, to call God Gibor when he's not flexing his strength, to call him Nora when his children are being enslaved, they felt would be an affront to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because it doesn't look true. And because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves MS, he would have no problem if we took away these adjectives. And Sheikh Ness will come along and say, I'm sorry, Daniel, I'm sorry, Yermio, you've misunderstood the strength and the greatness of God. The strength is not expressed in the flexing of muscles. Divine strength is often expressed in restraint, giving people an opportunity for tshuva. The greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is often not expressed in the fact that we have tranquil lives, but it's expressed in the fact that what? That we are still here despite all of our suffering. Therefore, they reinstituted the praise that was originally instituted by Moshe Rabbeinu. All right, we'll say, stop over here.